This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by The Classic, Executive, and Bold Line of the Full Focus Planner. For a limited time, you can pre-order new colors and designs for your planner. Find out more at lead2.win slash planner. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And in this episode, we're going to show you how to accelerate the growth of your business by creating a culture of simplicity. There is nothing that will slow you down and drive you crazy like complexity. And it seems like it multiplies in the dark, doesn't it? It's It does, and it's the enemy of speed. It is. And it invades every part of your business processes if you're not careful from hiring to purchasing to project approval to you know financial management. And worst of all, it makes you less agile, which really puts you at a disadvantage in the marketplace, especially um, in our current climate. But it can be so frustrating as a leader. So that's why we're going to dig into this topic today and show you how to simplify and really address the complexity that just naturally wants to creep in all the time. Well, I'm excited about this topic. I value simplicity, although I don't always achieve it. But we've got Larry with us as usual to kind of guide us through this conversation. And I'm especially excited today because we have Joel Miller, your husband, Megan. I mean, I know you know that, but for our (laughs) listeners, uh, who's our chief content officer, who is kind of in the champion of simplicity in our organization. And he's here to kind of represent for the simpler way of doing things. Hey, guys. And welcome, Joel. Hey, man. Well, how serious a problem do you think this is? I mean, we know it's frustrating when you have to go through some sort of bureaucratic process to get projects approved or to get things moving, but how serious is it? Honestly, it's hugely serious. Part of what makes it so serious is it's so insidious Mm -hmm. because the complexity doesn't happen all at once. You don't get kind of like thrown in the deep end of the pool and everything's you know, crazy complex and everything takes forever and it's a lot of work to get approvals, but it happens little by little. And it's always by good intention. You know, somebody adds this layer of complexity because it's the answer to a problem they're trying to solve. But then over time, people forget what problem was trying to be solved. And now it's just a layer of stuff. And it, and it just, these things layer on top of each other until you're tied down sort of like uh, Gulliver. The easiest decisions are usually additive and so they, they just accumulate almost like plaque mm-hmm. in your arteries really true. until uh, one day something bad happens. You didn't say anything about my Gulliver analogy. Didn't you think that was good? It's a perfect analogy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's lots of little people doing meaningful things, but it all ties you down. Exactly right. Yeah. Well, Chris Zook and James Allen in The Founder's Mentality, they say growth creates complexity. And that's really what you've just talked about. And complexity kills growth. Can you talk a little bit more, a little more detail on how does this tie you down? What does this prevent you from doing when you have these layers of complexity? Or maybe what do you mean by complexity? Well, I think as you grow, one of the things that happens is your team grows, your number of customers grow, the more components of your supply chain come into play, and all those things have to be managed. Um, and as you're, as you're adding, as Joel was saying, um, 
you know, you, you, the communication, for example, is not one person to another person. It's one person to 30 people or 100 people. And you need some kind of system for that. And that's natural and, and not a bad thing. But the problem is, is that systems, especially when they're not thoughtfully integrated or they're too many, can create friction. And that really slows you down. And that's really what we're talking about here is these kind of layers of systems that you have to wade through to get anything done where, uh, in contrast, at the beginning, um, early in your business, you know, there just wasn't much that stood between you and taking action. And now there are all these things that are in between. Well, you. let me give you a concrete example in, in our business. So back in the old days, five years ago, when somebody wanted to do something in our company, they might just pitch it in a meeting to me or to Megan, and we'd give it the green light right there, or we wouldn't. And so then they were off to the races. Now, because we're trying to manage a lot more resources, a lot of more, a lot more people, and there's an organizational impact, now we require that people fill out for any major initiative, something we call a recommendation briefing form, but it's essentially a proposal and it's got the cost and all that. Well, that takes time. And, and then they have to get on Megan's calendar in particular um, to get her approval on it. So that introduces a certain level of complexity. And by the way, it's not bad. It's a good thing. I think it's a discipline that we're exercising as an organization, but you get too many of those things set up and you're going to slow down the organization. You're going to slow down the speed of innovation and you're going to slow down your ability to react to the marketplace. You lose agility uh, in the middle of that if you're not careful. The challenge with any growth of systems like that is they create their own complexity and complexity breeds complexity. So as friction you used the word friction, Megan, just a second ago. As friction mounts because of the complexity that you're experiencing, you often then go shift to a simpler, more streamlined, but still adjacent system that you can use that's faster, but now you have two systems. And that adds more complexity. And the more of those elements that are in play with each other, you don't have simply like arithmetic growth. You have like orders of magnitude growth of complexity because all those elements interact with each other in new and additionally complex ways. We have an example of where that happened with us with writing software. Mm -hmm. So initially we were kind of, everybody was sort of operating in Evernote. We'd write something and we could share a link out. And then some people started using, not going to say who, uh, Workflowy. And then some people were using Google Docs. And then some people were using Notion. And before long, you as an individual, and you pointed this out, Joel, in our organization, you're kind of having to learn about four or five different systems, mm -hmm. but not really learn any one system. So now what used to be simple has become very complex yep. and it, it just slows everything down. And you end up having to master software that there's no need to master. So it just sucks your productivity down. There's no return on that investment at all. No, it's just you, you multiplying your knowledge across multiple systems instead of everybody getting decently adept at one. We've got four steps to reducing complexity and creating a culture of simplicity. So let's get to them. And step one is to develop a mindset of simplicity. I feel like a lot of the stuff we talk about on this show begins with mindset, not just hacks and tips and practical actions. Talk about a mindset of simplicity. Well, I think what we want to create within our teams is a bias towards simplicity, where we, we just believe that simplicity is better. And so we're always on the lookout for 
where the complexity creeps in because it will. It's kind of like weeds in your garden. I mean, it's not like you're ever going to just, you know, root them out completely. They're always going to be kind of encroaching. And so um, what you have to be looking for is how can we constantly be trimming back and and hate complexity, you know, know that it's the enemy and kind of go to war against it. Um, that requires a lot more creativity and effort on the front end, um, but saves you a ton of time and effort and friction later on. Um, and that's how I want the people that are on our team thinking. For example, I don't want them thinking when when we have a capacity issue, when people feel like they have more work than it, they can accomplish. The wrong solution to that problem as a default is well, we just need to hire somebody else because that creates more complexity. It takes more effort to manage. Um, there's more interrelatedness that has to be figured out between different teams and all that. It'd be better to figure out you know, what What could we do to simplify the things that are creating the capacity strain um, to begin with? But that's that's how I want my people to be thinking all the time. I think it helps to have models here too. And that's where I think, you know, Apple, for me at least, is a great model of simplicity because the thing that I think Steve Jobs pushed that organization to do was to constantly take away everything uh, in a feature set until only the essential stuff remained. And that's why Apple computers for a lot of people, and this is an arguable point, um, are are easier to use because there's just less stuff you have to master. And in the the Ken Segal book, Insanely Simple, you know, he talks about Apple's bias towards simplicity. And for me, that's been kind of an organizational ideal that I want to push for. But I I realize I also tend left to left to my natural state will gunk things up. I'll get more complex systems than we need. Well, it's kind of like your example that you shared before about the Apple TV remote compared with the Comcast remote. And I mean, how often have you just groaned looking at that Comcast remote with how many buttons does it have? 30 or 40? I don't know, 30 or so much. Just like a ton, right? And you have to figure out, okay, where's the volume every time, you know? And then the Apple TV remote is is like tiny, just a, a couple buttons. You know, that is a dramatic difference in the simplicity of those two products. I learned this as an editor. You know, like if you want a shortcut to understanding whether or not an author actually understands what they're trying to communicate. Look at how many words they take to communicate it. Look at how much jargon they use to communicate it. And often what you find is the wordier, more uh, jargon-filled the text, the less the author actually understands his own arguments. It's and- kind of like that old adage where you, you know that, that often happens among preachers where they say, you know, um, I'm, so, I'm sorry I couldn't make it shorter. I just didn't have time. It's exactly like that. Yeah. Yep. It's much easier to just add. It's much easier to just build more into it, thinking that you're adding value, but you're not. So step one in eliminating complexity is to develop a mindset of simplicity. And I like the way you put it, Megan, a bias towards simplicity. That brings us to step two, which is to get clear on what you want to do. Clarity, a very popular word here at Michael Hyatt and Company. Get clear on what you want to do. Tell us about that. I'd like to hear Joel talk about this when it came to our simplification of our, what we affectionately call our tech stack, Mm -hmm. the software we're using in the company, because we were using a lot of different tools to collaborate. And when it came to writing software, we settled on something that wasn't the most feature rich, but why did we settle on that? And how did you think about that? Well, you know, Larry, when you say you got to get clear on what you want to do, that's exactly one of the reasons complexity develops is people are not clear on what they want to do. They kind of want to do 
this or that or the other thing. They've not really thought through it clearly. And so they end up opting for uh, just multiplying answers to vague questions instead of being uh, clear. And so in writing, you have to look at what you really need to accomplish. And in our case, we need to be able to draft documents. We need to be able to comment on documents among multiple users. We need to be able to store those documents so it's easy to find. And Honestly, the G Suite was just the easiest answer for that. This is Google's, Google's product. Yeah, the, the Google Doc application. And what's great about that is it doesn't have to have as many features as, say, Microsoft Word, which is a, a wonderful program, and I, I like Microsoft Word. It's great. Um, but I don't have to format any of these documents on that kind of level, and I don't have to have those kind of features. So for the, the end game that we're shooting for here, the, the Google Docs was just like the much clearer uh, solution. And that's a case where less is more because Microsoft Word is very sophisticated. Yep. It's got advanced features, all kinds of things that they've added to it. And some would argue that they're that it's sort of fallen victim to uh, feature bloat. Mm -hmm. I think Microsoft has done an amazing job over the last two years, streamlining their tools, making them easier to use, beautifying the inf interface and all that. But still, why do we need a solution like that that we're going to use literally 10 or 15% of, yep. especially in a collaborative environment? Because all that that other eighty five percent of it just creates more noise and more complexity yeah. and more friction for us getting what we need to get done done. And Google Docs is is simple and easy to yeah. use, and everybody gets it. Absolutely. And when you have those extra tools, you're constantly asking people to go and learn something new, which, I mean, it just deletes time out of their week. Anytime they have to make a decision, there's a switching cost in their decisions that they have to make. It's really true. And what if you could just give them back that time? They could be more productive. Mm -hmm. Well, let me make a statement here and see if you agree or disagree. A single function tool is always a simpler solution than a multifunction tool. That's true, but it also brings with it its own complexity. Because now I have to learn how those developers for each of those single tools were thinking. And that could introduce its own complexity. So I don't I don't I, I agree in principle, but I think it depends on the tools we're talking about. I think that's true too. One of the challenges with a lot of digital environments is that features are not transparent. So let's say you're working in a particular program and you, you're using it for one particular task and you want to do another particular task. You may not realize that the app you're working in can handle that. And instead you bounce out of that app and go to another app to go do that. And now all of a sudden you're in a different environment. You're having to format things differently or think differently or work differently when you could have stayed in the same app and with just a little bit more familiarity with that program have accomplished what you needed to. I want to give you an example too of where less is more, but it kind of in that context so with Microsoft Word, I do a lot of outlining, you know, on content, and I can control every aspect down to where the, you know, the period is placed in the numbering system, you know, all that stuff. And so my tendency would be to mess around with that and spend an inordinate amount of time doing that, when at the end of the day, that's not what I'm getting paid to do and nobody cares. I have much less control in Google Docs. Mm -hmm. And so that forces me not to mess mess around with the formatting. Yeah. I just write the content. Yep. And the outlining's fine. Hey everyone, Mike Boyer here to let you in on a special opportunity. The Full Focus Planner has been expanded to include a range of new colors and designs. Now you can choose the planner that reflects your unique personality. 
For a limited time, you can pre-order the planner of your choice from the classic, executive, or bold line. Check them out now in today's show notes at lead2.win. By the way, if you haven't rated this podcast on iTunes yet, would you do that today? That helps keep the show visible so others can find it. Thanks so much for doing that. Now, back to the show. So far in how to eliminate complexity and create a culture of simplicity, step one, develop a mindset of simplicity. Step two, get clear on what you want to do. And step three, declare war on complexity. That sounds like fun. Joel's the master of that. Well, here's the truth. There's nothing that happens in the world unless somebody says, hey, let's go do this thing in the world. And so if you have a reality in front of you that you don't like, you just have to voice it. And I just decided to voice it. As we looked at the array of apps multiplying in front of our eyes like rabbits, I just said, we've got to go kill some rabbits. And we've got to kill enough rabbits that we can get control of this uh, of this thing. The tipping point for me was we were using Google Drive to store documents. We were drafting in uh, Google Docs, but then a suite of other products as well. And then Notion came along. And Notion is a beautiful app. It's clear, it's simple, it looks great. But there's a switching cost in moving from the array of apps that we had to Notion. And unfortunately, the half switching cost is even worse. Yes, And that's kind of what ended up happening was we had some people migrating to Notion, but we had other people still using uh, Evernote, other people still using Google Docs, other people still using God knows what. And the result was chaos. And I just thought, we have to take a stand for simplicity here. And we just have to like root out these other apps. They're great apps, but they're just not great for us as a team. So Megan, talk about the what solution we came up with, because the whole idea of there's a certain specific set of tools that we're going to use to collaborate, but people can use whatever they want on their own. Yeah. So, you know, in the spirit of we want to allow people to have as much autonomy as possible, but also facilitate efficient and effective collaboration, we've given people the freedom to use whatever they want personally. However, when it comes to documents that are either um, intellectual property of the company, so content creation, uh, visual design things like that, or when they're going to be used for collaborative purposes or there's some collaboration necessary, then they have to conform to a set of tools that um, are defined for us. So any kind of document creation is going to happen in uh, Google Docs or in the G Suite. All of our file storage is going to happen in Google Drive. Um, Our project management is going to happen in Asana, and our team communication internally is going to happen in Slack, and our email client that we're going to use is Spark. And Spark is neat because it allows um, a group of people, you know, our internal team to uh, make comments on email messages so we can kind of go back and forth if we're deciding how to answer someone external to the company, which is really the only reason we use email. All of our other communication internally happens through Slack. So, so it's really just those things that we're using. Can you clarify uh, about Spark? Is that a standalone email client? It is. You you can use it by itself, or you can. Yeah, unfortunately, it's not available on, on Windows, but it's a great. It's the best Mac email client I've ever tried. The amount of innovation that that company is producing is amazing. Like just today, they introduced a delegate feature where you can delegate an email to somebody 
that's oh, either, wow. in the in the company or uh, works for you, and they're just thinking through it from a use case kind of perspective. Right. It's really cool. So, for example, instead of forwarding an email to my assistant Jamie and saying, you know, would you respond in this way, and she sends something back with a question, and then I send her something back, and it takes four or five emails before she can answer on my behalf. You know, let's say it was some kind of a request that came in or something I was negotiating. Um, instead, now right below the email is a little comment thread, and we just go back and forth. You know, just like in Facebook threads, you know, something that's very familiar until we get to the answer right there. We don't have to leave the client. We don't have to go um, send any emails. And then we come to a resolution. Um, She can collaborate with Jim, who is my dad's executive assistant. Uh, It just gives everybody really quick visibility without more emails. So you're eliminating the complexity of all the back and forth. I'm really impressed that you knew that that release happened today because I've been with you all day. (laughs) Well, in fairness, uh, we had talked about it on our apps podcast, which as we're recording this just dropped. And so I heard from the CEO of Spark and he said, you know, it's amazing that you guys are using this. You're going to love the the uh, one we're introducing tomorrow, which is going to have this delegate feature. So look out for that one. So okay. that's the only reason I knew it. Okay. So a little insider insider <laughs> information there. They're very cool. By the way, Larry, I think just kind of, you know, to a more general application, we're really talking about technology as our most recent application of going, you know, to war on complexity. But if you're finding in your own organization that you're getting constant requests for personnel, which is one of the ways that this shows up, this kind of complexity creep shows up, um, that's a good indication that you have some complexity that's kind of, you know, like growing over here in the dark and you need to address it. Because usually when people get overwhelmed with complexity, the most natural solution that they can think of is to get more people. And certainly there are many cases where adding additional staff members is the right solution, um, but not till after you've really analyzed the situation and, and tried to understand, is complexity really what's causing the overwhelm, or is it truly a capacity issue that cannot be made more efficient through elimination or automation, as we talk about in Free to Focus? Michael, you recently announced to the entire company, all, all team members, that we were going to stop doing some of the things that we were doing and reduce the complexity, but it, it really was not so much about tech as it was about product. That's right. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So a couple of months ago, we had a consultant in and he asked a very simple question that confounded all of us. And that was, help me understand the customer journey. In other words, what's the first product that your customer should buy or typically buys? And then how do they progress from that into the rest of your uh, product suite? And so we kind of all looked at each other and we said, uh, we don't know. So what we did know is that we had probably two dozen different products uh, and various iterations of those products. And they had accumulated for good reason. Every year we introduced a new product, made totally sense. We were clear on the audience segment and all, all the rest. But as we laid that all out, kind of on a graph, uh, year by year, with how they were introduced, it was overwhelming. And not only were our customers confused, we were confused. We didn't have a clear answer about the customer journey. So we said, okay, let's start at the very beginning. You know, Vince Lombardi, I think, is the one that made famous, you know, this is a football. So we said, what's the football in our business? What's, what is it that we're about? And we re-examined. We started with the mission statement. We uh, decided that what we're really about is focus, that what our content does is help people focus on their goals, focus on their productivity, you know, all the rest. 
And so we made a very bold decision to retire entire product lines like Best Year Ever, like Free to Focus, and to take the best of that and roll it into a simpler customer journey and a simpler product offering. So out of that came the Focus Leader. And now we have a very simple point A to point Z kind of customer journey. Everybody knows what it is. I can draw it out from memory. And it's just, it's clear and it makes everything so much easier because we were doing so many events, so many product launches, so much customer service related to that that web of product offerings that it was killing us. By the way, we should say too, for both Free to Focus and um, Your Best Year Ever, that those live on in books now. So that was kind of a natural way to retire the course and the live event components of those two products and just let them live on in book format, which is really accessible um, and kind of a low barrier of entry for our customers and clients. Well, in eliminating complexity and creating a culture of simplicity, first, develop a mindset of simplicity. Second, get clear on what you want to do. Third, declare war on complexity. And step four, I think this is where it might get a little harder, prune ruthlessly. Sometimes it's really hard to let go of stuff. Mm, I love this, though. It's like the Marie Kondo of business. You know, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Marie Kondo. Uh, what's her show called? Now I've completely forgotten it. I don't know. The book is called what? The, the Joy of Tidying Up. Yeah, the show. I think the show is called Tidying Up. It's is on it? uh, Netflix, and it is it's fantastic, and it will get you inspired about radical pruning in all areas of your life. But I think it applies to business too. And the the truth is, there really isn't room for sacred cows. You know, you have to look at your business um, with objective eyes and not nostalgia, um, not ego. And that is hard, especially if you've been around a long time, especially if you're the founder or you were kind of in the founding team. But that'll get in your way and you'll you'll end up hanging on to things for the wrong reasons, not because they're really a part of your future, um, but because they were a part of your past. This really is a form of hoarding. It is. Right. It's no different. You know, you can hoard stuff that's digital. You can hoard stuff that has to do with product, customers. You know, people don't want to let go of an audience segment because it generates some revenue. But the thing I've found is anything that's going to be healthy requires pruning. I don't care if it's your hydrangeas or your roses or your business. You know, we've we've got to prune. And pruning is our friend. It's the key to health and vitality and and uh, continued growth. I approach this, you know, as an as an editor. Again, this is like my background. And... It's fundamental in in writing, in publishing, that without good editing, you will have bloated, uh, nearly indecipherable texts. Because what happens is authors uh, and editors, you know, succumb to this. Everybody can more or less succumb to this in some ways. Develop uh, attachments to ideas, to phrases to uh, storylines, mm-hmm. to arguments that don't fundamentally serve the end game, but there is some kind of emotional attachment to it. And so when a, when a disinterested third party, in the case of the editor, comes in and says, that really doesn't fit here, that really doesn't work, they're serving the universe and cutting that out. And the author may have to be talked into it, 
um, the author may really object to it, but it's just in service to readers everywhere. And there are readers that, you know, they have read books where they can't tell you exactly what's wrong with it, but it's because an editor didn't exercise enough. I mean, like, honestly, like redline brutality on the front end. And with a little bit of redline brutality, the world moves simpler and easier. So Arthur Quiller Cooch famously said in his lecture on style, uh, that whenever you feel an impulse to perpetrate a piece of exceptionally fine writing, obey it wholeheartedly, and then delete it before sending your manuscript to press. And then he said this famous line, murder your darlings. <laughs> Just because you love it doesn't mean it's good. Just because you love it doesn't mean it serves the end game. You got to cut it. Yeah, that's good. Such that, a great line. That reminds me of the quote by the author, the Little Prince, whose name I could never pronounce. He says, the designer knows he has achieved perfection not when there is nothing left to add, but when there is nothing left to take away. And I think that pretty much encapsulates uh, Apple's design philosophy. Yeah. You know, if they, they scrutinize every button they put on a device because every button adds complexity. And that's why Comcast didn't exercise that discipline and ended up with this monstrosity of remote control, while Apple ends up with something simple and easy to use that, that a three-year-old can understand. Well, guys, we've learned today that complexity kills a business, but nothing succeeds like simplicity. Really, we've been talking about creating point number one, or step number one, a bias towards simplicity. So we begin there with developing a mindset of simplicity. Second, get clear on what you want to do. Third, declare war on complexity. And four, prune ruthlessly. Don't be afraid to, as Joel reminded us, murder your darlings. So guys, what's my first step to getting rid of all the complexity in my life? What's my next action? Besides asking whether or not a particular app gives you joy? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I meant besides that. <laughs> I would go back to what I said earlier, which is to develop a bias towards simplicity. You want to start training yourself to see things through the lens of simplicity. And when they're out of congruence, you know you have a problem and you need to begin the process of that radical uh, pruning that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if this is a law of thermodynamics, but things tend to go from simple to complex, right? Maybe it's the second law of thermodynamics. I don't know, but some version of that. But things tend to get more complex, which means that you've got to be revisiting this on a regular basis, that you're never going to go through a simplification process and go, okay, we got that behind us, we're done. Because things are going to always get more complex over time. And periodically, just like you know, spring cleaning or cleaning out your closet when you buy new clothes, you've got to do this on a regular basis if you're going to continue to grow. The thing for me I always think of is, where is there friction in, in your workflow? Where is there friction in the things that you do? Because friction is a sign that there's something blocking your path, and that block may just be something needlessly complex. And if you feel like that blister developing on the sole of your foot, then that's a great place to go look and strip something out so you can uh, get focused and get moving again. Well, guys, thank you for a very helpful, practical show. Appreciate it very much. Thanks, thank you, Larry. Larry. Yeah, thank you. Well, thanks, Larry. Thank you, Joel. Good to have you both with us. Thank you guys for joining us for Lead to Win. And join us next week. We're going to share seven steps to thinking bigger. Until then, Lead to Win.
This episode of Lead to Win has been brought to you by the classic, executive, and bold line of the Full Focus Planner. For a limited time, you can pre-order new colors and designs for your planner. Find out more at lead2.win slash planner.